Hi there and welcome. Now it's time for America's favorite podcast. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. If it's fly, loose fit it. It's Cortez. If freeze and chubbies in it. It's Cortez. Leave your mark. It's about inspiring the world. One guess at a time. Pass the word from Brooklyn to Pittsburgh, from urban to suburb. It's Cortez, you heard? And here is our host, Vince Cortez. Hey everyone, this is Vince. I just wanted to make a special introduction for Dr. Chamey. This is a gentleman that saved my life. He was the, the captain of eight doctors, four oncologists, four cardiologists, and three anesthesiologists, and 12 hours later, saved my life. And it's not every day that you get the opportunity to interview the doctor that was in charge of the surgery, let alone one this significant. So I think you'll be able to tell him a little bit excited and a little bit nervous talking to Dr. Chamey. He's a one-of-a-kind human being, and I was so grateful that he did this for me. So listen and enjoy. Be blessed. This is Leave Your Mark. I'm Vince Cortez, and today's guest is Dr. Karim Chamey. He's an associate professor of urology at UCLA, He's a clinical trials interest, and his areas include urology, oncology, and particular emphasis on bladder and robotic surgery. He is also a superstar and an extension of my creator. Dr. Chamey is the doctor who operated on my cancer, my double operation. He was the chief person in charge of putting this group of eight doctors together that I mean, it, it, when I think eight hands were in my chest for a 12-hour period, this would be like a perfect symphony that every note and every key was hit with the perfect timing, or I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you today. So you're beyond a miracle worker to me and, and what you do. I love your spirit and what you do. It's just amazing. So with no further ado, Dr. Chamey, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Vince. Thank you. It's an absolute honor. What I'd like to do with all my guests is, is we find out a little bit about you and your background. So would you share with me where you were born and where your childhood started? So um, I was born in, a, um, in Aleppo, Syria. Um, Aleppo was a beautiful metropolitan city in Syria, which has now been demolished. Um, I was born in 1971. Uh, I came to the States in 1978. Uh, came to L.A., went to public school throughout L.A., went to uh, Vine Street Elementary, Lacan Junior High School, Fairfax High School, then went on to uh, do my undergraduate um, education here at UCLA. Wow. And now, let me ask you a few questions. So you're in elementary school and you're a local L.A. person. And uh, what, what was uh, mom and dad's influence? So what did your dad do and what did your mom do? Um, so my mom stayed at home. Uh, my dad, um, you know, worked, you know, we came to the States. They didn't know the language. They didn't know the culture. They got whatever job they did. Uh, initially my mom was a seamstress and then my dad was just, you know, working construction and, uh, did the most they could do. Um, my dad died when I was, uh, 12 years old. Oh my. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, do you have any siblings? I do. I do. I've got a couple brothers and a sister. Are, um, were you in the birth order? Oh, I'm the youngest. I'm the youngest. I'm the baby. 
okay was there any special treatment with that or uh, uh a little bit but you know my dad was a different father than um, my siblings um their 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 father passed away at a young age oh okay and, um so my mom had you know four kids and um she was 26 years old and then she ended up marrying my dad and then so i'm the only child from my mom and dad but i've you know i've got you know half brothers and sisters so oh, I don't wow. really consider I don't consider them half brothers and sisters. They're they're you know brothers and sisters. So now, when you're in high school, what's going on? What were your interests growing up? Girls. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I mean, you know, I I liked science. You know, I uh, you know uh, met my wife to be in high school. Uh, we were in five classes together, and so yeah, it was great. And you're probably uh, book buddies studying together and everything that many classes together. Yeah, yeah. she was a good influence on me. She put my head on straight. Oh, that's good. As a grounding woman is priceless. So that's yeah. awesome. So now you go off and from high school to UCLA or mm -hmm. USC. You went to USC first. No, I went to UCLA for okay. undergrad. No, I went to okay. UCLA for undergraduate. Uh, education. Um, I majored in microbiology and molecular genetics. Um, I knew kind of that was going to be the future uh, genes and, you know, um, using bacteria to manufacture genes and viruses. I, that was definitely the future. And um, that's where I majored in. You're a surgeon. How do you get involved from where you're starting out in that particular category to being a surgeon and where you are now? How did that evolve? Yeah. Um, you know, when I was an undergraduate at UCLA, I didn't want to be a doctor, right? I wanted to, you know, be a scientist and work in the lab. And, you know, you look in the mirror and, you know, you realize what your strengths and your weaknesses are. And then I, I really fell in love with medicine and then kind of had a change of my aspirations and realized that medicine was a better fit for me than, than being in a lab. Now that doesn't mean I'm not in a lab, you know, I've got an active lab and, you know, I publish, you know, a couple hundred, you know, 120, 130 papers. I've got scientists that work for me in the lab and residents and medical students and fellows that work with me in the lab. And so, you know, I, um, I still do some lab work. It's just, it's not, I'm in there every day. It's, it's more along the lines of, me getting tissue from patients and then we can study the tissue to determine whether patients would benefit from certain tr certain treatments or not this is fascinating so um you're you're still doing the lab to a degree with what it is your work because your work is so expanded now how how does like for example when you saw my case mm -hmm. um you know what goes through your mind based on what it is you can do for somebody that was in my situation. As a urologic oncologist, meaning a, a urologist that specializes in oncology, we focus on kidney, bladder, and prostate cancer. But those three organs are, even though they're kind of all connected to one another, right? I mean, the kidney is connected to the ureters, which are connected to the bladder, which is connected to the prostate. Um, they're all three completely opposite uh, you know, tumors. And what we realize is that some uh, tumors behave similar to others. So, for instance, like kidney cancer behaves very similar to melanoma, which is which is a, a, a skin cancer. Uh, we know that bladder cancer tends to behave like lung cancer. Prostate cancer tends to behave like breast cancer. And so um, 
understanding how other cancers are treated may actually portend how we can better treat our own patients. So seeing how responsive patients are to immunotherapy in melanoma, you can then extend that and say possibly kidney cancer would behave similarly to immunotherapy. Uh, same for lung cancer. What works well for lung cancer probably works well for bladder cancer. What works well for breast cancer may work well for prostate cancer and vice versa. And so understanding that these tumors are oftentimes related, um, are similar, uh, may, may determine who responds to what treatment. So that actually then will help you narrow down the types of treatments that you're going to do? Yeah. Okay. Connect with us on LinkedIn. Be our friend on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You are listening to, listening to Vince Cortez. Cortez. We just want you to leave your mark. What did you think when you heard my case? Um, you know, because you were asking and we had gone through a friend of mine whose sister worked for you and helped do the staffing. And her name's Tanny Hansen. And I mean, between him relaying to her and then her actually being in the position where she could contact somebody like yourself, this was for myself, this was the beginning of the miracles. Yeah. I mean, so you get this news that, that this person is in pretty bad shape. <laughs> so what what were you thinking initially and, and what were you what was your method to going forward? Yeah. So um it was one of those things where, you know, you ever watch a baseball game and, um, you know, it's the bottom of the ninth inning and you're a couple runs down and you're trying to get men on base. Not because, you know, you think that you don't want a guy to just go in there and, and just hit a home run right off the bat. Right. I mean, you just want to get men on base. And that's the same type of um, approach we take. We just say, look, let's just get him through this surgery. Let's get as much of this cancer out as possible. Let's get them a fighting chance because once you get the primary tumor out, the other tumors may actually respond to treatment if you get it out. And so what we did was we just got men on base. And, you know, kind of like the New York Mets and the Boston Red Sox back in the mid 80s. I mean, I don't know, maybe some Red Sox fans will. <laughs> but I mean, it's one of those things where you just hope for a miracle, you know, and that ball went under Buckner's you know, legs and oh, yeah. know, the Mets won the World Series. It's the same in your case, right? You just needed to get men on base and just trying to get you through the operation and get rid of as much tumor as possible from the kidney, inside the vena cava, into the heart, in through the, you know, um, tricuspid valve, in through the, you know, right ventricle. I mean, your, your tumor went from the left kidney up the vena cava, straight up through the diaphragm, into the right heart and the right ventricle, and was poking into the um, um, pulmonary arteries. If it went a few millimeters further, you would have been dead, just because there would have been no blood flow to your lungs. And so we just needed to get you through the surgery and getting you through the surgery meant we had to stop your heart. And I had to assemble a good team to be able to stop your heart and, and open up the valves and get all the tumor out as, you know, as safely can as possible. You, can you share with me this? This I'm, I'm fascinated by. How did you recruit this team together? Because I was told that some of these fellas were either heading on vacation or were on vacation and they came back and this speaks mounds about UCLA and being a teacher's hospital and what goes on over there. That's a little bit extended, but how do you get these people together? 
Yeah, I mean, well, first off, I first met you when you were lying down and I met your parents and you in, in the room on the eighth floor of Ronald Reagan Hospital. So it's the first time I met you. But um, I had been making phone calls about you before you even landed at UCLA. I kind of knew of your arrival and I started making phone calls to folks that I trust with my own life. And if, they, if I trust them with my life, I trust them with yours. And um, I made the phone calls and they all, you know, answered the call and they were all there to help with the surgery. Wow. I mean, the, the, the whole thing, I, I had so many things that had happened prior to, but um, <clears throat> the part about yourself and you obviously like the athletics, you, you used to, it's a little anomaly of what we're talking about here and I'm getting ready to go under and I remember coming in and saying hi to you and you know I asked you if you were ready and you told me you ate your Wheaties this morning and it was so funny because it from that point on everything just felt so light and I met the anesthesia people uh a crazy story there the fellow was just garbed head to toe in UK stuff and John Calipari, who's the head coach at University of Kentucky, he's a personal friend of mine. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, in my deathbed here or potential, I don't know if I'm surviving this. But my last thing consciously is some guy with a UK mask on, a UK wristbands on, a UK headdress. And I'm like, oh, only me. It's only me. So I go under and I'm out. And it's like it, it was there was something deep inside me that I felt because of the connection I had with you, that there was just really nothing for me to worry about. It was, I was for me to let go. And I, it, it, it really took any stress or any anxiety or any fear that I had and, and <clears throat> letting go. And it, it became, instead of something that was hard to do, it became actually something easy to do. And um, so, I mean, I would, I would wake up, you know, what, some 13, 14 hours later, and you and all those other doctors were absolutely incredible, you know, blessed beyond measure. Each one of you wanted a time, I mean, three anesthesiologists, I just, at times when I'm sharing the story, I feel like I'm like, who are you talking about? You know, <laughs> you know, and it's like, I went through this, it's, it's hard for me to still all these years later, wrap my head around what actually happened. But this is amazing. So you pull these people together. So I, I would like for you, if you could share with me, some of the things you've been doing since this time of the, I mean, we're, we're talking to seven and a half years ago at this point. So what, what is your current position over there? And, you know, I'm sure there's a plenty other doctors that want to work with you as these, these other fellows have. So you're, you're kind of carving your own niche. Yeah. So when, you, when I operated on you, I was right out of fellowship about a couple years. Um, and I was, energetic and uh, focused on, uh, you know, trying to cure everybody with cancer and, you know, work day and night and was willing to take on the most challenging cases. And, you know, uh, since then, um, you know, I'm now an associate professor. I'm now the director of the Society of Urologic Oncology Fellowship here at UCLA. Uh, I run uh, a number of clinical trials. 
and patients with um, cancers and um, pretty busy. Um, I do a lot of open surgery, but I do a lot of even more robotic surgery. Um, surgeries like yours are still done open. Uh, nobody would even consider tackling your operation robotically, but we are able to um, do surgeries that are a little, you know, that would be a little more morbid. We do them in a less invasive approach now. And, um, you know, I've, I've trained a number of fellows who are now gone on to become, you know, professors in, you know, in North Carolina and Stanford and Columbia and, you know, San Diego. And it's, you know, here at UCLA. And it's nice to see that, you know, I've left my imprint. And I think, you know, patients like you have left your imprint on, on these fellows and these residents. It plays out as an incredible opportunity for everybody. And then when you have a happy ending, as we all did, it's 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 difficult to measure the, the level of success that everybody experiences from that. If you are listening from Australia, Florida, or just from around the corner. From East Coast to West Coast outlets, if you're not into the dirty South straight, make a left and body body. Contact us. Leave your mark with your host, Vince Cortez. So let me, I want to ask you also that you're talking about the robotics. How do you see, I mean, we're comfortably 25, 30 years in here with the artificial intelligence being in the game. Mm -hmm. And it's accelerating our, our learning to such a degree. What do you see in the future with the robotics type surgery in your line of work? Um, I'd say probably in the next 10 years, I think um, surgeons are probably going to be doing less surgery. Um, I think, you know, newer drugs are going to be um, developed that are probably going to replace some surgeries. And if we are going to do surgeries, I think the the machine is probably going to do a bigger chunk of it. Um, I mean, we're already right now, uh, machines and artificial intelligence can read an x-ray. They can oh probably even read pathology slides. And so it's not it's not out of, you know, out of the, you know, you know, the horizon to think that uh, pretty soon the robot's going to be able to sew and suture and oh you know cut out and you know remove tumors. So, um, a surgeon's probably the only thing we'll need to do is tell it what not to you know remove and what to suture together. And so um, we're going to probably set up some boundaries and eventually the robot's going to go in there and do it all for us. Uh, but we're not there yet. Right now, the robot wow. is just the robot is just a uh, it's just a um, a human controlled uh, microscopic tissue handler. So with uh, small small instruments, we're able to do big big surgery. Uh, the robot is stronger than any human, and um, and is more precise than any human. But still, uh, the human controls it all. And so right now, it's it's almost kind of like uh, it's kind of like the movie Iron Man, where you've got someone like Robert Downey Jr. inside this spacesuit, and you know you can do anything with it. But at some point, you know um, you you don't need the human anymore. The spacesuit's going to be able to just do things on its own. That's absolutely amazing. Wow. Well, I I would like to talk to you all day, and you know the situation here is is. is you're a busy man, and I appreciate you giving your time. I ask everybody that comes on the podcast how they would like to leave their mark. And I would like to ask you that. How would you like to be remembered in your work and 
and who you are. You know, I'm indebted for the patients that, that, that entrust their lives in me, right? So everybody that trusts me with their life, um, you know, they go under the knife, they go under anesthesia, and they have, they put their full faith in me. And um, that's something that I can't thank the patients enough for doing. Uh, but, you know, uh, practically, the mark I leave is probably the people I train. Um, you know, that's that's really doing God's work, right? When uh -huh. you can actually train people and then they end up getting amplified and they do more of your work than what you can do. So I, I, can, I can only work, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours a day. That's the maximum I can uh -huh. do. But you train 10 people, 10 people can, you know, work 15, 16 hours a day. That's 160 hours that are being done. And so that's that's my mission is to be able to train the next generation of surgeons to be able to do some of the things that I do. And it just doesn't mean like how to handle tissue and how to do an operation, but it's also how to talk to patients and how to comfort them in time of stress and how to have them believe in you. Because, you know, I think um, mental fortitude is probably just as important sometimes as how good a surgeon is and and if you can um if if, if you can get the patient to believe in you that, that they're going to get better that's probably just as good as some new drug that that hits the market you had me convinced that was after i met you i would they were like well that's going to be your doctor and i'm like really that was him he's gone but I, I was most comfortable with you i i felt that right away it was almost instant rapport where um, I had uh, enough belief and enough trust in what you were, your capabilities would be. And it's like, this is the guy that's going to help me right here. I believe that. Yeah. And uh, looking back and realizing all the factors that are involved when it, it gets to the actual time of the operation and the critical moments to come, uh, you realize how important that is. And to the, the umph degree in order to, uh, really just allow things to go as you would hope or pray for. But you're an incredible man, an enormous heart, great spirit. I don't know if you've gotten out and played around at golf yet. I know we kid around, but when at the saying goodbye there after the operation, but uh, you're definitely a hard worker. You're a testament to all doctors in your field. So appreciate your time and you'd be blessed. Thank you, Vince. Obviously, um, you know, you're 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 the miracle, right? I mean, you know, um, I'm you know, I'm just a surgeon who did an operation and, and you know, got it got together a great team that got you through it. But you're the miracle. I'm just the guy who helped, you know, suture some things together and cut some things out. And uh, you're all heart. You're the one who was able to endure a major operation and go through treatments. And, um, you know, uh, sometimes doctors get too much um too much uh notoriety i think i think not enough is given to the patients they they fight the fight yeah it, it, it is all parties involved gotta be present it, everything to click so yeah. but thank you so much i appreciate your time bye, -bye. thank you bye thanks for listening to leave your mark today tune into our next episode of leave your mark with vince cortez be blessed. You just left your mark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Listen to more episodes on demand. Just click Leave Your Mark with Vince Cortez.